You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis in the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, Milwaukee Bucks did not look very good on Friday night. They lose 105-96 to the Detroit Pistons. They lose their third straight game. It was not pretty. It, it was not pretty at all. And uh, I think we'll start our conversation there. Uh, the Bucks do not play uh, here on Monday. They do not play until Tuesday. That'll be another national TV game, uh, I believe, on NBA TV against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So a uh, big, long break here for the Bucks as they get ready for their next game. But uh, we'll start going back and looking at that game. It was bad. It was just ugly. Yeah, and started quite well, actually, with the Bucks jumping out to an 18-9 lead and kind of hanging close for the first maybe quarter and a half and then um, really kind of lost touching distance with uh, with the Detroit Pistons, who, again, have been pretty good early in the season. But either way, I mean, this is, you know, they, these are the games where you start to, as a team, show that, you know, you're in a tier where the Detroit Pistons are not. <laughs> and yeah. um, coming into the season, you know, everybody obviously thought, the Pistons could very well be a playoff team. A lot of people thought they should be a playoff team. They're a team that, you know, a year ago had expectations probably pretty close to where the Bucks had them this year, but they do not have Giannis Adetokounmpo. Um, they are a team that, you know, has been sort of trying to figure out how the pieces fit together. And, uh, you know, when you look at the Bucks and again, starting pretty well, but um, they give up a 17-6 run kind of starting midway through the first quarter. Um and then they give up a 21 to five run late in the second quarter. And, you know, I know John Henson and, and Matt Velasquez's story uh, for the Journal Sentinel talked about that they were going to spend a lot of time on pick and roll defense, pick and roll defense, pick and roll defense uh, on uh, Saturday, I guess, at their, at their practice. Um, because that was certainly one of the obvious things that the Pistons got off early. They were able to coax some of those uh, vaunted corner threes from the Bucks and get some good looks in the perimeter early. Uh, and then they began to have issues really trying to contain Andre Drummond, who had a couple early fouls. And then um, he really got going over the last three quarters and uh, made a ton of free throws. We talked about the Pistons not ever really shooting many free throws, including Drummond. He shot 20 free throws in his first eight games. He had 16 on Friday against the Bucks, And so I think you just look at the Bucks again, their defense let them down. They could not stop the Pistons without fouling them. And the Bucks offense, you know, again, was not horrible, but uh, it was not consistently good enough to give them a chance to just outscore the Pistons. And obviously, if they're Milwaukee Bucks, uh, you are not going to just be able to, I think, have the mindset of we're just going to be the Rockets and just outscore people. And, you know, unfortunately, this is now sort of a recurring theme. We saw that issue in Charlotte again uh, the game before. And certainly with this game coming up on Tuesday in Cleveland against a Cleveland team that lost again, but they lost to the Hawks today at home. 
Um, I mean, the Bucks have to be are in an awkward position because we have no idea what Cavs team is going to show up on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, and this is an opportunity to, to take a team that is obviously struggling to figure stuff out, including on the defensive end. But do you really trust the Bucks at this point to go out and win a road game against a struggling Cleveland Cavalier team? I certainly do not. And we're going to talk a lot about Jason Kidd because certainly all this uh, losing has done nothing to quell the uh, pressure that people, uh, you know, have been putting on Kidd for his job, and I think justifiably so. So we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But um, I don't know, Erica. Any other kind of things that that you thought as you were watching the game because. You know, I don't know. I felt like for a long stretch, especially during the game, they were able to get good three-point looks. They were able to use Giannis to create open space. Um, but, you know, when the defense kind of ratcheted up a little bit for Detroit and the Bucks started missing shots, the Bucks couldn't do the same on the other end. Point of attack, point of attack, point of attack. I, I will use John Henson's rhetorical device there. Um, but, yeah, there, there was just so many times in that game where – I would watch them attempt to defend a pick and roll and just kind of wonder what was that? Were you, were you going to trap and decided not to? Did you actually pull off that trap and then forget on the backside that you needed to tag a roller coming down the middle of the floor? You needed to help there. It just looked like a totally, it was just not cohesive and at no point did I actually feel like like it started to be that and I know on our last podcast I talked a little bit about Thon struggling in that role um, and I thought there was times that though the the starters defense ends up I think being okay on the night there, there was times where John Henson got caught in between as he was trying to decide between helping not helping getting stuck in the middle, not getting back to Drummond. And uh, I don't know, the defense just looked really, really ugly. And from from my standpoint, it it looked like just no execution, no attention to detail. Um, And again, we'll we'll always talk about the scheme, and there were certainly some schematic looks that that gave them some of those open threes, like you had said, uh, in that first half where it was – stuff we saw years ago <laughs> where it just skips over the top and then there's an open look at the three on the wing and I don't know that 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 that, that to me was all that I could really focus on but at the end of the night I, I look at the score and it, obviously the game was played at, at a bit slower pace uh, so that 105 ends up being a defensive rating of 113 but uh yeah, the defense just wasn't there. The offense wasn't quite good enough uh, to bring them back in it and, and to get the win. But just a team that looked uh, I don't, bad. I, I don't really know a different way to say it. When you look at these last three games uh, against Oklahoma City on Tuesday, weren't able to contain Westbrook, didn't have a, a chance containing Westbrook. He got wherever he wanted uh, throughout that game in Charlotte, obviously uh, the struggle with Kemba Walker and being able to contain him. And then here in Detroit, again, it was kind of pick and roll stuff and being able to contain a guy like Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith, uh, I guess as well. And it, it was, it was just not pretty on the defensive end. Um, and then the other thing, I, I know we talked about it a little bit before, so you might have some of the numbers in front of you uh, before we started recording, but just just the the idea that it doesn't appear that this team can really survive right now when Giannis and Chris 
are not on the floor, if that makes sense. So if anytime one of them is off the floor, everything just kind of seems to go to hell, uh, both offensively and defensively. Like if those two guys are on the floor, they, they just can't seem to execute. And it's just been ugly when that pairing isn't together, which is saying something because in a 48-minute game, there's, I don't know, 10 minutes total where – I don't know, one of them, or maybe I should say maybe a little bit more than that, 15 minutes or so where those guys, one only one of them will be on the floor. So uh, the Bucks need to figure out how they can kind of make that work. Yeah, I mean, both Giannis and Chris are individually plus. Chris is plus four. Giannis is plus 1.7 points per 100. Um, and when, you know, individually look at them, I think without Giannis, they're, what, like minus 15 or something. And without Chris, they're minus 22 points per 100. So, They've been a disaster without them. Now, you know, how often do you actually see lineups without one or the other? Well, not not that often, to be honest. I mean, we you know, we were just looking at the game flow from Friday. I mean, the the whole point of like, you know, uh, Giannis often being pulled early in the first quarter is so that they can get, you know, start the staggering process and get Chris some more minutes by himself so then they can yep. bring in Giannis later in the first quarter and then send Chris to the bench to get his time um, on the bench. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that um, is is I think you know again you're not going to see it much you didn't see it at all on Friday that they had none of neither of those guys on the court um, but you know I, I was just looking at NBA Wowie um, Giannis without Chris <laughs> this almost doesn't like I, I I'm almost like I want to check this against the different sites numbers um, because Giannis without Chris uh, it has the Bucks at like minus 35 points per 100 <laughs> which seems almost, whoa like, I, I don't even want you to quote me on that yet but it has them at minus 62 in 216 minutes um which seems like almost impossible um but the two of them together uh let's see they are um plus like 50 or so um and obviously more minutes roughly double the number of minutes so you know, I think when both of them are on the court together, the team is performing well. And I think, you know, from a lineup perspective, you know, even the starting five that that began the year with Thon, they were bad for a little while. But, you know, now nine games in, um, that group is, I think, at like, what, 106 or 107 offensive rating and a 102, yeah. 103 defensive rating. So they're now a clear positive defending at a pretty high level, actually. And the lineups with Henson are defending slightly better and scoring at a much higher rate. And again, like, you know, yeah, it's what it's 126 offensive rating for the new starters and a defensive rating of 101. So a net rating of 24. Uh, and then that other unit is an offensive rating of 106.8, a defensive rating of 102.7. So a net rating of four. Um, so both clearly positives. But that Henson starting lineup unit is just laying the world on fire. Yeah. And I mean, they're, you know, at the same time, like there's no reason to think that like, they're going to be the golden state warriors with John Henson at center rather than John maker. Like, you know, there's no practical reason for that really. Um, I think a lot of that's probably just, you know, they've happened to get, you know, have some good shooting stretches with, with Henson on the court. Maybe they haven't had as much of that with Thon on the court, which again, you'd expect to even up over time. And certainly that's consistent with what we saw last year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, I worry, and we can talk a little bit about this maybe if we want to get into kind of the bigger picture of, of kind of what's what's going right and wrong with the team right now because I think certainly, understandably, I mean, Jason Kidd is always, you know, the kind of focal point of the conversation whenever, especially when we talk about what's wrong with this team and what they can, you know, be doing better and why are they not as, you know, better than they are. Um, and certainly losing three-strike games, dropping under five hundred is not going to do anything to kind of quell some of those concerns around Jason Kidd. 
And, you know, one thing that, you know, when we tweeted out, um, Ben Golliver and, and Andrew Sharp uh, from SI, our friend Andrew and Ben, um, they talked about the, I mean, they've talked about the Bucks a lot uh, the first couple weeks of the season. I, pretty much everybody has for, in a national perspective because yeah. the Bucks are interesting with Giannis and everything. But um, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I tweeted out um, a transcript of the of what Ben said. It was kind of like some, some ideas Ben had. And, you know, his view was, and he started with kind of kid and, you know, about Giannis and, and how Giannis should be, you know, kind of the idea of like Giannis starting to be a superstar and pressuring management to rethink what the coaching staff is doing, rethinking the current coaching staff's employment uh, with the Bucks. And, uh, and, but I, th- and it was kind of like, okay, you know, I certainly we can understand that idea because we've been talking about this for a while that, you know, if again, like, you know, especially defensively, if kid once again, cannot get this team to defend and they under you know, they underachieve above it. It's like, how can you kind of justify thinking that this is just, you know, you're going to bang your head, bringing it back for a year, right? You're just going to do it year after year. You're just going to be an underwhelming defensive team. And, you know, Giannis is just going to like carry you to something and you're going to be happy with that. So, um, but it was interesting because he, Ben actually talked mostly about offense or pretty much exclusively about offense. And to be honest, I thought it kind of like missed the mark of like, you know, it wasn't like, like I was kind of like, okay, yeah, Jason Kidd, Yes. Talk, let's talk about him and his employment history, his employment. Yeah. Like that's all good. But then, I thought they completely whiffed sort of not talking about the defense, which has been just so consistently ineffective the last couple of years. And now again, this year, they're, I think, 25th in defensive rating through nine games. And yeah, it's early, but we've seen this, you know, we've seen this story before, right? You know, we, we are very much deep in the, you got to start showing us something and we can't just sit around saying like, we'll just wait for a bigger sample size, wait for a bigger sample size. It's um, big enough. It's big enough. And so, I don't know, we can talk a little bit offensively and defensively because, I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like maybe we set the table a little bit this way, right? Like, you know, obviously I think I would say if we took a poll right now, you know, if it was a popular vote, Jason Kidd would be on the curb tomorrow, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think there's there's any question about that. If if Bucks fans had their way, I think people are kind of fed up with just, you know, the the, the perceived underachieving and, you know, and, and people obviously have criticism on both offense and defense. And we'll kind of get into to those um, in each of their buckets. But you know, from a practical perspective, obviously there was talk that kid's future was in question earlier this summer. He obviously survived that, you know, last January, we thought the team might've given up on him and, you know, somehow things turned around. Chris Middleton comes back. They win a bunch of games, probably get lucky a fair bit. And then they have, you know, a playoff series and Giannis's kind of explosion that sort of saved his job. And, but either way, here we are. And, Jason Kidd and his staff, they are in charge of this team. And from a practical perspective, you know, um, it is possible that you will see a an outside coach hired it, during the season sometimes to come in. I mean, I think George Carl did that, I believe, both in Milwaukee and in Sacramento. Um, there are examples of this, like Lionel Hollins left the Bucks as an assistant to go coach the Grizzlies, but he had been yeah. in Memphis before. I mean, there are examples of this where, you know, again, you hire outside coaches midseason and they go in and sometimes they, they do have some success. But in all practicality, that's pretty rare. And you're not going to go, you know, interview the best assistants in the league and go hire one mid season while the season is ongoing. That's just not how it works, which is why, you know, you typically see just an interim coach step up from the current coaching staff. You have it to go the rest of the season with that guy. And then you reset in the summer. So I think the way I would view it is, you know, 
yes, management made a decision that, you know, Jason Kidd in the first year of his extension, they were going to roll forward with him this year. I don't know how unanimous the excitement was about doing that, but that's what happened. So they go into the season with Jason Kidd. They have all this continuity. We talked about it all summer. They have no excuses not to really make a clear step forward this season. They have no excuses not to be a much better defense, given the personnel, given the continuity, blah, blah, yep. blah. All these things that maybe in the past Kidd kid and company have been able to kind of trot out as well. But, you know, we got Jabari and he's bad and Greg Monroe and he's bad and oh, we had injuries. And I was, yep. that, it's not, it's not, certainly not the case right now. And again, it's early, but again, there's really no excuse there. And so, but the problem is, I mean, you're kind of stuck with this staff, right? And, um, you know, we can get into sort of the offense defense stuff in a moment, but you know, to me, it's, it's kind of the question of like, okay, well, what, what would ownership really need to see? And, and John horse, like, I hope that John horse and ownership talk this summer about this type of scenario where if things kind of went poorly, like what do they do? How much, you know, patience do they show or how much impatience do they show? Uh, and what do they do? But um, in all practical purpose, I think we just need to start off by just sort of baselining with the assumption that like you're stuck with a version of this staff for this season effectively. And you can obviously debate whether or not Jason Kidd is the coach or whether you would at some point consider, you know, firing him. Um, but there is no kind of magic dream coach shows up off the street scenario that I think is in any way likely. Um, yep. and so I think that's probably like the, the starting point. And I would say at this point, absolutely. Like, you know, and, and again, there is time that maybe Jason Kidd can get this defense turned around and, you know, save his job or something like that. But certainly from everything we've seen, he is on track, you know, with the way things are going and it's early. So we're extrapolating um, significantly, but he is on track to not have a job next summer. And yeah. I think it's possible it could happen much sooner if they go on a prolonged losing streak. But well, let me, so I've talked for a while here. So, I mean, my view is you probably wouldn't see a coaching, a coaching change before like the 20 or 30 game mark at the very earliest. Um, and again, you'd have to see just really consistent problems and you'd probably have to see evidence that players are just not buying in anymore. And, you know, certainly Giannis and other guys are just not, <laughs> not behind yeah. Jason Kidd anymore. I mean, I don't know. Is there, is it, would you just agree with that sort of general table setting before we kind of get into the why of, of what's going wrong or, or do you have kind of a different yeah. view of that? No, I, I think I think it's going to take a lot more than a three-game losing streak. I will say that. Like looking like garbage, like the Bucks have for these three games. Like I just don't think that's going to be enough, especially early in the season. Um, if there is some some prolonged struggle, uh, then yeah, uh, then I think you you might see something like that. Uh, but yeah, I think you mentioned January of last year, where it was what twelve of fourteen they ended up losing. I think it would take something like that uh, to actually get it done in season because, like you said, if you do it in season, you're not you're not getting rid of kind of everything. Like if your problems are scheme based, well, I think it's pretty well documented at this point that Joe Prunty is in charge of the offense and Sean Sweeney's in charge of the defense. So if you get rid of Kid, well, those two things aren't changing. Uh, Joe Pronti's still going to be there to run the offense, and uh, Sean Sweeney's still going to be there to run the defense. So everything would kind of still remain the same. So none of that would change. And again, it would be, like you mentioned, it would have to be players just effectively saying, okay, I'm done with this. Like any message 
any message Jason Kidd has, I'm shutting out. I'm done with. I, it's coming in my right ear and going out my left ear. Like I'm, I'm just done with it. Uh, and I think to see that, it would have to be a, a prolonged stretch of losing and things just not working out. So um, I, I would agree with all of that, and I would also agree with the idea that you're not going to hire your next coach uh, during the season. And uh, as you look at things, I mean, we talked about it before the season. If the defense doesn't improve, uh, and I know we heard what Jason Terry say, top five defense was a goal, and uh, we talked about how the personnel should at least get you a top ten defense because you have enough talented defenders there. And, yeah, I think that all pretty much holds true still. So uh, if things don't change and things don't improve on the defensive end of the floor, I don't know how you roll it back the next season and say okay we're gonna do it again we're gonna get a little bit better on each end and we're gonna end up winning so uh, that to me that would defy all logic um so i i would agree that we are as we are right now we are on pace if the bucks end up being what are they right now a top 10 offense and uh a bottom five defense oh maybe maybe they're just outside of the bottom five they're at 24 right now in defensive rating um so if that's the case i i would have to assume that this staff would not return for next season yeah and you know again i, I think and i think the, the the best argument has always been the best argument against kid has always been not that you know jason kid is just the worst which is like typically where most arguments just sort of go, but it's like, you don't even really have to go there. Right. If you have a transcendent talent in Giannis and you know, year after year, your coaching staff can't get you to do things that you think can't kind of, I think especially help looking at through the offense defensive line, I think is helpful. Um, because you know, again, if, if you don't feel like they're in any way maximizing the talent on the roster and particularly when you have a superstar, then you owe it to yourself to take a chance to go find somebody else who's better. Right. And so, and it's obviously like the, the, the challenge of like, do you get rid of a coaching staff versus who do you hire? I mean, those are, they're interdependent and, you know, obviously you don't want to fire a top five coach because you think that you can get a top two coach, but you know, if you have a bottom half coach, let's say, then you don't worry about it. I don't think you worry about whether you can get an elite coach, right? Like yep. this, this job should be appealing enough that, you know, again, if you don't think you can hire a top 10 type coach, you can't find a guy like that. And then maybe a young guy that you have to roll the dice on, right? I mean, like a David Fisdale type, right? Like a couple of years yep. ago, David Fisdale was a really well-respected ass- uh, assistant coach whose name came up every time they talked about, you know, head coaching jobs. He finally got a job and now he's, you know, conjuring up, winning seasons from a team in in Memphis that has some talent, but I think has really reinvented itself in a way that, you know, has made them, you know, a bit more future proof. And again, how long that sort of lasts, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be David Fizzell's fault when eventually that team kind of comes back down to earth. So I think, I mean, I think that's really the question, right? It's, it's what is the bar? And I think, I think the really good thing, and, and I was on, um, I was on the radio. I think it was. It was. I think I got interviewed on the on six twenty a couple weeks ago when I they asked me about um, uh, expectations and whether expectations were a good thing. And maybe this isn't the exact question they asked, but I'm going to just go with it um, because I this is what I believe. I think the expectations are ultimately a very good thing for the Bucks this year because a you have to at some point have expectations and actually have to deal with that pressure. Yeah. And b I think it does 
you know, Jason Kidd didn't run from the idea of wanting to be a 51 team and second round playoffs. The players didn't run away from that. Yep. Everybody embraced that. And that makes me a little nervous because those are, you know, I, we didn't project that in our over unders, right? Like we didn't no. project that they would definitely, you know, that, yeah, they're second round in the playoffs. They certainly have, the, I think they have the talent too. And if with the right, you know, coaching and everything kind of coming together, I think they can do that. Um, but I think the important thing is there's that expectation. And you certainly, when you, you know, hear stuff about, I think in particular West Edens and the expectations there, and I don't think ownership's going to be happy winning 43 games this year. And expectations equal accountability. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I think that's the best thing that can happen because even though I'm sure ownership at this point probably is not thrilled with the fact that they gave Jason Kidd a three year extension a season and a half ago or whenever it was technically. Um, yep. But, you know, at this point, like, even if they have to cut bait, you know, sometime this season and eat, you know, another two years after this, um, I think the pressure of wanting to have a good team and having the pieces to at least be a pretty good team, um, I think that's going to win out. Because, again, I just you just sort of see, I think, as well, just, you know, fans, fans get it. They see what Giannis is doing and not just yeah. the expectations of this team should be pretty good and, you know, should compete for a home court spot and should be able to go to the second round. But you add on top of that, like, Oh shit. Now Giannis is an MVP, like one of the front runners, perhaps the front runner, if they could ever, if they could actually win any damn games, yep. um, then it only magnifies that. So I think, I think that expectations are, are very healthy and it and obviously it guarantees nothing about you're going to find the best coaching staff. Who's going to figure out all the problems and, and rectify them. But it, you know, that's, that's, that comes with the territory, right? Like you got to have that. So yep. maybe let's get into some of the offense and defense and uh, maybe we start with the offense. Cause that's what Ben and Andrew focused on. And uh, to be honest, the offense, I worry about less because I think we've at least seen the offense trend in the right direction. I mean, if you go two years ago, this team barely shot threes. Giannis was obviously yep. not the focal point until really the second half of, I guess it was the 15, 16 season where he, you know, point Giannis kind of became this big thing. And then over the last year and a half, we've seen the team, you know, dramatically increase its three point sh shooting rate. Um, I think they're 11th in three pointers made in the league right now or something like that, according to basketball reference. But you know, either way you look at the trends of the way that they, you know, take shots, um, you know, they're according to uh, cleaningtheglass.com from Ben Falk, they are 21st in mid range shooting frequency. They were 23rd last year, so they have sh shot many fewer mid range shots. They're shooting more threes. You know, they were dead last in three point frequency two years ago. They were 22nd last year. They're 17th this year. There's room clearly to improve on that, but at least it's going in the right direction. They've been number yeah. one in the league in rim at rim stuff the last two years. And obviously, offensively, last year, they became an above-average offense. Um, and this year, you know, they've been sort of in that same ballpark, um, shooting more threes. I think they're fourth in three-point percentage, which tells you they could shoot even more threes, given that, you know, they're probably, again... Doing it so efficiently. Doing it so efficiently, right. Um, so I think at least the offense is working in the right direction. But, you know, is this absolutely, like, maximizing their offense? No, I'm sure there's more that can be done. I mean, I don't know. We were talking before the call um, a little bit about the offense and kind of specifically what they do. do. Do you want to kind of jump in and just give your your takes there? Because I know that you had a more nuanced view of that being someone who I think understands an offense better than I do. Sure. Um, I mean, as I listened to Ben and Andrew as well, I, I kind of thought it was strange that we heard as much about 
the offense in the complaints as we did because again this is it's a top what they're 11th in offensive efficiency right now um two and a half points away from being second in offensive efficiency uh so they're they're kind of in that blob of teams that a couple good games from them could move them up to i don't know six or so offensively so they're doing some good things offensively and to hear Giannis specific offensive complaints i thought was kind of interesting because I do think over the, I mean, just in the last year, the last two years, like you mentioned, in that time, we've seen them really develop quite a bit in that spot where now it's it's pretty regular for us to see some Giannis pick and roll looks as the ball handler and as the role man. We're seeing a bunch of elbow touches for Giannis. Uh, we're seeing a bunch of post-up looks for Giannis, which I think those two specifically are really good looks for him because it's ways that he can really hurt defenses. And seeing the offense kind of do what it can to get him open. And we talked about the the other night where there's some back screens for Giannis to get him easy looks. Like, easy looks for Giannis aren't super easy to come by. Uh, He knows that he's the guy that they have to stop. So uh, you do have to be very and I, I would call them very creative, but in a utilitarian st- from a utilitarian standpoint, like yeah, I, I do think they get Giannis some looks. Now, do do they do enough? No, they don't. Do they do enough to maximize Chris Middleton and make sure that he's shooting threes rather than pull up jumpers and taking guys in? The- no. Uh, so I, I think from a Giannis standpoint, they're I don't want to say they're great in that standpoint, but they're good, I think, at least at that. At getting him a variety of looks, uh, a different look pretty regularly, um, where they do struggle is kind of all those other things. And uh, it does need to get better. And uh, I think that's probably where you see the the difference between just being a top 10 offense and moving into like that elite top five area, all those things on the margins considerably better uh then you can move into those spots but i think to some extent they're also falling into the curse that we see many offenses that have super talented players like where you get that guy his looks and then around him you end up just standing around like i think we've seen that a a number of times certainly uh we saw with oklahoma city thunder with durant and westbrook where that offense was always killed for not being creative enough but it was normally top five offense because those singular skills are just so great um so i I don't know offensively i have many fewer complaints than defensively would you uh, agree with that assessment i would say so i mean there are a couple things that go into that i think first and foremost like you know when ben was talking about like oh they don't give the ball to Giannis enough and they're not getting enough easy baskets it's like I feel the Bucks actually like pretty much always look to try to get Giannis the ball off defensive rebounds. Um, I think, you know, certainly Giannis, when he gets the ball in transition, I mean, he's always looking to push, right? Uh, and part of the challenge, too, is, I mean, Giannis is uh, just behind Henson as their top defensive rebounder. So it's not like he's, you know, a wing who can just leak out and cheat up the court and look for, you know, home run passes or, you know, catch the ball at the midway line. I mean, you know, because of his defensive responsibilities, he's often close to the basket when he gets the ball. And so he can't necessarily just 
you know, get a, a one-on-one, two-on-two type, uh, you know, situation where he can just go and attack. And um, so, I mean, I think the idea of like, oh, well, they, sh- they need, you know, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like Charles Barkley's complaint the other, the when the Bucks were on TV, the other TNT the mm-hmm. other night, which I think you were at the game, so you wouldn't have seen, but I know we talked about it a little bit. And it was like, oh, Giannis works too hard. He doesn't get enough easy baskets. It's like, well, I mean, to get him easy baskets, like he either has to play less defense or you'd have to play a more aggressive turnover-based defense, which the Bucks have been trying to do for years. <laughs> and yeah. we know how that's gone over. And I think, you know, we can kind of get into that um, in some of the defensive conversation. But I think, you know, trying to play more of a gambling-style offense, I mean, you can say, that, or sorry, defense, you can say that they should um, do a better job of that, certainly, because of the way that their defense is sort of structured. The fact that they're, you know, 18th in turnover rate this year defensively is, you know, a failure because of the style they play. They're not getting that trade-off. And in yeah. turn, they're not getting as many easy baskets. Um, that's certainly, I think, an argument that you can make. But um, in terms of, like, let's get Giannis more more dunks and layups and things like that, well, then you have to take Giannis off the ball generally, right? Because, you know, I mean, how are you just going to, you know, snap your fingers and get him? Create an easy look, yeah. Yeah, And and the other thing with me with easy looks is, like, okay, do you want easy looks? Giannis is going to shoot eight threes a game. They're easy. Like, are they good? (laughs) Like, no. And and I think... Maybe, I think to some extent, the Warriors have kind of warped everyone's perspective on this just because they have such insane shooting and they've leveraged it so well. And obviously, that's what you're going for. Like, if you can leverage an insane talent, that's the way to do it. But they just have insane shooting everywhere. So most of the actions they can run are going to end up getting Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, or Clay Thompson a wide open three. And then teams will get in their own head and say, okay, well, there's no way we're giving him wide open three, and then it's layups. And all that's created by having so much gravity on the floor, and that's just something uh, – one, the Bucks don't leverage their gravity enough. We've been over that, but there's just not a ton of teams that can create that same type of gravity. Yeah, and again, you can you can convince me at least that the Bucks are heading in the right direction offensively. Like we see these like, games where they go nuts from three, and they – I think in general they do create a lot of open looks. I think I saw someone tweet the other day about how they've created, you know, like their I think share of open threes that they've created is like one of the highest in the league, right? So, um, and they're shooting a high percentage. So again, they should be shooting probably even some some more shots that maybe aren't always so aren't as good. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, at least there's not like some sense of like, oh, the offense is a disaster, or like you know, they're not, it's not working. I think they can work better around Giannis for sure. You know, I think that was why we saw some of, the, and why still some of the Giannis on-off metrics aren't, especially his on metric, on-court metrics aren't as impressive as maybe you'd like. I mean, the Bucks should be better than plus two points per 100 with Giannis on the court. Like, yeah, you have to figure out a way to be better than that. leverage it better. Um, but you know, again, I think at some point you do kind of run into you know, some of the challenges of the roster a little bit. Like, you know, I was tweeting with, with Kurt Lighting, our friend of the pod, and I'll mention Kurt specifically because, you know, we like Kurt and I was just, you know, messing with him. And he said, you know, we, and I think, I, I don't know if it was because I mentioned the the Point Giannis lineup or, or he mentioned, you know, well, they actually ran a, a center line, center Giannis lineup, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the right personnel or something. And I didn't, I didn't remember who it was. Um, and, he, and I said, well, who was it? And it was, uh, Snell, Toledovich, Delavadova, and Vaughn. And I was kind of like, well, you know, actually, I, I was exp- I, I was going to say, like, as if, if it's a non-Middleton lineup, right, like, you're going to have to run some non-Middleton lineups. And so maybe that's where you get funky and you try to play 
a smaller small ball lineup, right? To get more shooting on the court with Giannis, right? Because that makes sense to me. Like if yeah. you're going to run point center Giannis, you're going to do it with Middleton off the court because you know you don't need to have a, sh- a sh- you know of an offensive threat at center when you have Chris and Giannis together on the court as much, right? I mean, if you're trying to construct your like ideal lineup, maybe, you know, okay, fine. But if you're trying to just win minutes with Chris off the court and Giannis on the court, it makes sense to me that that's, you, you would go small. Right. And so I would, I was, I was going to say, well, I, I would hope Toledovich is on the court for one. Cause we always talk about Toledovich and Giannis yep. Mirza just being a threat from, you know, inside half court. Snell would be another guy. And then Della Vidova and Vaughn. And I guess you can write the argument like, well, Vaughn's just like, shouldn't play at all, which, is fair. You know, okay. Like, yeah. Maybe Vaughn should play at all. But, you know, if you put four rotation guys who can shoot threes on the court with Giannis, like at some point you have to be able to make those lineups work. And I think that lineup might have been like plus one or something like that um, on Friday. I mean, they, they didn't, again, it wasn't like they blew the doors off the Pistons. But interestingly, they came on in this early second quarter without a center. Um, and when I looked at the season, I actually didn't realize how many minutes Giannis um, had played without a center this year. I thought it was relatively few minutes, but he has played 30 minutes without a center so far this season, and the Bucks are plus 11 in those minutes, which is, you know, again, it's a small sample, but that's a very big number for only 30 minutes. And Giannis has scored like 31 points in those 30 minutes on 84% true shooting. So, I mean, he's been insanely effective when the Bucks have gone with these really small lineups. Um, and again, you would hope that if there's, you know, I think that's part of the argument. And this was what Ben did mention on the podcast was, and I thought it was a great line. He, he referred to it as the puberty ball uh, lineups, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, when in middle school, the, the kid who goes through puberty early and is like the tallest kid on the court. And he's like the most athletic He's the he's the point guard on offense, the center on defense. You know, or in baseball, he's the pitcher and the D and the kidding cleanup. I hate how ingenious that. that oh my god, it's yeah. such a good line. It's and, so good. and Giannis is absolutely probably the best, the only player that you could really in the NBA, if, or at a minimum, if if anybody you could call a puberty center lineup, whatever yeah. puberty ball lineup, whatever. Giannis is probably that guy because he's the most uniquely fit to to play both center and point guard. Um, yeah. So I thought that part was definitely something that I think, yeah, like, let's see more of that, especially with Greg Monroe out. Let's see more of those types of lineups to try to get weird and put teams in uncomfortable positions. And I thought, to be honest, like when I then watched, because I didn't watch the first half on TV until this morning, I watched the second half on Friday, and then I watched the first half this morning. Um, I actually thought, like, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that they moved the ball as well as they did. So, um, so again, I think, you know, it's more a question of seeing more of those lineups. And then I think at some point, though, like, you know, if we don't think putting four shooters from the rotation works with Giannis, then I think the question is like, well, then your rotation isn't isn't deep enough, right? And certainly yeah. you can say Vaughn shouldn't play or something like that. But um, I, I that I didn't have as much complaint about. But um, but yeah, and I think offensively, I think teams. To be honest, I think teams are. Um, I think one of the things we're seeing, we talk a lot, especially with Thon, about him being a poor rebounding team. But the Bucks have been actually shockingly decent um, in terms of defensive rebound rate this year. And I I think a lot of that might be because teams load up in transition so much on Giannis at this point. I kind of wonder if teams are crashing the boards less against the Bucks solely because they know that Giannis, if he has, you know, a two on two or any type of advantage in transition, he's just going to kill you. Um, I mean, and that would be a super logical trade-off if you, if you think in your head, like, okay, 
if we try to go in for these offensive rebounds, I mean, this is what this is what Popovich has been doing for essentially the entire time he's with the Spurs. It's like you're trying to figure out how good of a chance do I actually have to get this offensive rebound, and how many how many transition points will I give up by not going in? So, like, you're trying to balance that out. So, I especially as I've said, Giannis is a walking bucket in transition. So deciding to pull some of your guys from crashing and making sure you have numbers back. Like, yeah, I think that makes total sense. And that also that keeps Giannis from getting going and easy transition looks are obviously ones that people have been saying the Bucks need to get more of. And if you're a defense, you're trying to keep them from getting those looks. Yeah. And so let's, um, so let's maybe pause on the, I'll, I'll end the offensive discussion. Cause we're, you know, ironically this this phenomenon of maybe loading up um and sending guys back rather than having them crash as much um that would make it easier to play defense because you are collecting more defensive rebounds fewer second mm-hmm. chance opportunities something that the bucks actually haven't been as terrible at this year as they have normally um i think the only other comment i'd make on the offense why i'm less worried about the offense and this also gets into sort of some of the coaching dynamics and you know if you were to get rid of jason kidd when i have asked people in the organization Joe Prunty has always come across as the guy that seems to be the most trusted of the assistants. And Mm -hmm. um, as much as the Bucks don't run uh, the most aesthetically pleasing offense in the world, they've obviously gotten better results and they've gotten improving results, as we mentioned over the years. So um, Joe Prunty being the offensive guy uh, among the assistants, I I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bucks' offense is better than their defense. And Joe Prunty is generally considered the best of the assistants. Um, And again, it's not that you could just make Joe Prunty also in charge of the defense and he'll figure out how to be better defensively. I, I don't know what Joe Prunty thinks of the defense. I won't pretend to, um, but we can get into that in a second. But that's kind of another I, thing in the back of my mind is, you know, I, through sort of just, you know, anecdotal evidence, and again, I've never met Joe Prunty, you know, he, the Bucks have, don't allow these guys to do interviews, so, you know, whatever. But he is a well, pretty well-respected guy when you talk to people in the league. And I think people in the organization seem to think pretty highly of him and, and like him as a person and, and also for his abilities, not just because he's a nice guy. And we saw and I, him we saw him as a head coach for this team. Yeah. And, you know, I think the team actually played reasonably well when he was, you know, subbing in for Kidd a couple of years ago. And I would say, too, like it, the what I guess the platonic ideal of offense is always, what, the Spurs offense, right? Like that's that's always what people want and well well they don't shoot threes anymore though so i don't know if this <laughs> maybe not but you're always looking for that's always kind of what people are after and well he's from the spurs tree and that's where he got started was as an assistant with the spurs and then he spent another three years with rick carlisle another guy that i think a lot of people really respect and believe has a great idea of what you're looking for in efficient offense. So, yeah, I've, I've like like you said, any anecdotal evidence I have of what people think of Joe Pronti is, yeah, he's very well respected, and uh, everyone believes that he he knows what he's doing offensively, and look at him very well. So, um, yeah, I, I would I would agree. Uh, I've heard many of the same things. Okay, so let's switch switch sides to defense. And again, my biggest critique of I think the conversation that at least Ben and Andrew had was that there was basically no talk of the defense and of course that has not been an issue in Bucks Nation in general um there there is no more uh you know there's nothing has Bucks fans wringing their hands more than the Bucks defense uh in the last three years you know you start off Jason Kidd's first season, the defense is, it, it worked somehow one way yep. or another you know arguments that it, there was probably luck involved 
could very well be part of it um, based on some of the opponent shooting numbers that year. Uh, but in the two years since, I think they're, what, 23rd and 19th, I think, the last couple of years using basketball reference. Uh, as you mentioned this year, another kind of poor start to the season, but kind of in a different way. They, they haven't been allowing as many threes. Um, but, you know, some of the, the kind of common things that, that have been issues, um, you know, again, just just at stuff allowing a lot of shots at the rim. Um, they're forcing fewer turnovers. That was a huge strength in that first year. They forced turnover turnovers that has fallen off the last couple of years. And again, that's one of the fundamental trade-offs of the type of defense the Bucks play is that they do, you know, when they, by being more aggressive, you try to force more turnovers in order to make up for the fact that sometimes you're not going to force a turnover and give up open looks. So um, I think, you know, as I mentioned the other night, f- far fewer moles being whacked uh, in the game of whack-a-mole that is NBA defense uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks so far. Um, and, uh, you know, again, three years ago, Sean Sweeney was, you know, an up-and-coming, fresh-faced, you know, young assistant that had everybody very excited. But as the, you know, architect, or I don't know, maybe that's saying too much, but at least the guy who, you know, the assistant in charge of the defense certainly he and Jason Kidd have not been able to find an answer, not been able to find an encore to what we saw a few years ago. And, you know, all the stuff that we've talked about forever and that people have complained about forever, they don't really fundamentally change the defense. They kind of just keep going back to the well. And certainly so far this season, despite the continuity that they had coming from last year, despite their worst defenders in Jabari and now Greg Monroe being hurt, none of those things have translated into better defense so far. And, to me, this is this is the the litmus test for whether you know Jason Kidd has any future in Milwaukee. And again, I'm not yep. saying because you know I'm I want to give him another year and figure out like oh maybe it can finally work. But again, putting ourselves in the shoes of Bucks ownership, which for better or worse, they decided to go with this coaching staff, and that's the reality right now. This is the coaching staff. You spent all summer reinforcing the same things that you've been doing the last few years, hoping that it would turn things around and finally work. And so far it isn't, right? And so for better or worse, that's kind of where things are. And they're not maybe failing in exactly the same way as in previous years. And certainly defenses are, sorry, NBA offenses will continue to evolve. Um, You're not, you know, the days of just being able to like prevent teams from, shooting three pointers are there's certainly no team's going to be able to do that entirely. Um, but the bucks continue to not be great at that. And they can't really, I don't know. They, it's just like, they can't get teams to really, they can't really dictate the terms of, of engagement. It seems like, and uh, again, it's an early sample size so far this year, but you know, again, if it's just year after year after year, I, I mean, how can you continue to kind of like expect a different result? And to me, it's not just, scheme like if you if to me any any of the any scheme that any team in the nba runs if you execute it really well you should be able to be pretty good at it you know you can yep. argue that the buck scheme because of its aggressiveness it, it requires too much perfection that you can never be the best team in the league defensively May, you know maybe that's the case but are you doomed to be a bottom third team every year no matter how well you execute it no i don't believe that at all because there are still some teams out there that do play more aggressively that have been way better than the Bucks have been. And unfortunately, you know, year four of Jason Kidd's tenure here, we're still here talking about this defense, not getting results. Yeah. I was going to say that I, I don't think that there's necessarily one exact way to be great defensively in the NBA. Um, I mean, I, I was thinking of what Atlanta last year, they were 
Were they top? Did they end up top five defensively? Yeah, I'm trying to fourth. I want to say. And they end. I mean, a, a number of their major tenants are the same things that are done in Milwaukee. Like they end up giving up a bunch of corner threes, and they're very aggressive and try to go for turnovers. And there, there's a number of things where there's overlapping uh, ideas in both of those, and it ends up working out for them. So uh, I don't. I don't necessarily think that there's exactly one way to do it, um, but I think there's more than enough evidence at this point that how the Bucks are doing it is not really working. Um, and yeah, I'd, man, just looking at how many shots they give up at the rim, like it, it's just 39.1% of the shots taken by opponents are at the rim, which leads the league. Uh, that's an insane number. Almost 40% of shots, four out of every 10 shots, two out of every five shots. Like, what? That's that's crazy. Um, so it, it, it's definitely not working. And, again, I think to kind of start the season, they were doing a better job keeping out corner threes. Now it's uh, up to 25th in frequency. Uh, but they've played a number of teams that really do try to do that. So maybe it's it's a little bit inflated, but still – uh, giving up a bunch of shots at the rim and giving up a bunch of corner threes, that, that just is going to be very difficult to make work for you. Uh, so you have to find other ways to do it, and the turnovers aren't there this year. And I, I guess just generally looking lost at, at times just doesn't seem to add up to me. Um, with the, the talent that's on the roster defensively, uh, I think we've, we talked about this, that Maybe there isn't uh, an Andre Robertson anywhere on the roster, um, and maybe there isn't a Steven Adams anywhere on the roster, but there are good defenders on this roster. Like, uh, the entire entire starting five, I know we've had questions about John Henson in the past. Maybe we have questions about Thon Maker this year, so maybe not in that spot, but uh, those other four starters are all are all good defenders. Again, don't know if they're great defenders, but they're all good defenders, and if you have good defenders on the floor, you should be able to think of something that can make this work. And they just haven't. And um, I guess to me, the fact that they struggle as much as they do with, or they have struggled as much as they have this year with pick and roll defense and something they've struggled with in the past. Like that's the NBA, the NBA is pick and rolls that that's pretty much all it is at this point as offenses continue to develop. That's going to be a, a major assignment every single night is containing other teams in the pick and roll. And they've just looked terrible doing that throughout this season. So uh, there's a number of things that they really need to improve on. And yeah, I think as we look at this, if there's a reason why this, this coaching staff has to go, it's because of the defense. The defense isn't good enough. The scheme isn't making what you want to happen, happen. I know uh, I've written about in the past how essentially the goal is to make teams work as hard as possible, and we heard uh, much of the same from Kevin Arnovitz last week. Uh, you're trying to make teams work as hard as possible. You're trying to make them loft passes. You're trying to take it as much of the shot clock as possible, and they've largely been successful doing that, but if in the end, with five seconds left, a team gets an open three, even if they had to make three extra passes, well, it's probably not great. Like NBA teams uh, are more than capable of hitting threes late in the shot clock uh, through just a little bit more ball movement. Like they're they're very capable of that, and ultimately that might not be the best look to give up. So um, yeah, the defense has to be better, at, and and I think you can go in a number of different directions for why it could be better and what they're doing wrong. But 
there's plenty of of blame to be handed out on the defense. Yeah, and I mean, on uh, again on on Friday, you know, we mentioned um, a couple of the early threes could be attributed to the Bucks being overly aggressive in a way that you know wasn't effective, and they weren't able to to make life difficult enough to stop uh, you know some quick ball movement to get an open three, and then you know, kind of a half. A half-assed, I don't want to say half-assed might be harsh because John Henson, I don't want to say this because he's not trying, but John Henson got kind of stuck not really being aggressive but also not really dropping. Um, And Chris Middleton didn't tag Andre Drummond when he rolled and it was a dunk and that was a timeout that kind of, I think that was like one of the plays that sort of were kind of the exclamation points on on the night in terms of summing up the Bucks' struggles of just, we just can't stop these guys, right? And it's the Detroit Pistons. It's not, you know, the Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rockets that you're struggling um, to contain. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. I mean, again, I, I think the, the frustration I think is indicative of, I think some healthy things from a, from like a fan perspective in that you actually have expectations on this team. Giannis yep. doing what he's been doing only raises those expectations further. Um, you know, I, I couldn't really tell. I only saw it once. I didn't rewatch it. Um, Giannis seemed to be pretty frustrated throughout the game he got hit a couple times early. There was a first quarter dunk that he had where he looked to clearly get fouled. There was no call. Um, he got raked again. The fourth quarter on a play in transition where the ball went out of bounds, they kept the ball, but no foul. He ends up taking only, what, two free throws, took 27 shots and only got a couple free throws, which, you know, there's just no way you're going to defend Giannis Dedekumbo well enough to only allow two free throws on a night where he gets yep. that many shots. Like that, uh, Sorry, like that's just not, you know, Hats off to the Pistons for defending him well, but like I think the officials were letting a, a fair bit go. Um, so I certainly probably some of that, but also probably some of just Giannis being frustrated with losing because obviously he's a competitive guy, and it kind of gets to I think some of the bigger question discussions around this team, which is you know if Giannis is like you know if Giannis were a hundred percent in Jason Kidd's corner, and obviously Giannis is a like Giannis is a good person, he's a respectful person, he's not the kind of guy who's like going to kill a coach or undermine a coach or whatever. Um, and so well, Ben Galver would like him to. Yeah, although Ben would like him to. Um, and and look, I mean, at some point, you know, like you can't just be nice about everything. And you know, if a guy is not going to help you and your team take the next step, then obviously, you you know, it's time to not just be a nice guy the the entire time, even if you feel thankful for maybe what they've given you. Um, but it, it was interesting. I mean, Giannis had a couple comments last week after the Thunder game, and I don't know. You may have different perspective on it just because you were in the locker room. Um, but the, he seemed to like, just talk about like, well, we just got to deny hard or we got to do to West. We should have done to Westbrook what, what they did to me, which was basically deny him the ball. Um, and again, much easier said than done, but he seemed to be a bit frustrated in some of the comments that he made after that game. And obviously with this game, um, I didn't see any comments from him afterwards, but, um, you know, he had a play late in the game where, you know, it was a fast break and it was him back. He gets stuck back on like a two on one and he basically just let Reggie Jackson drive and just dunk and he didn't do anything to stop him. It was kind of Jabari Parker-esque defense, to be honest, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think we've seen Giannis challenging far fewer shots in transition period, which is probably good for his health, but bad for our highlight reels. Um, <laughs> but certainly in that, in, in that situation, it kind of was notable because literally he just let a guy dunk on him and yep. know, didn't even go up to contest. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But I think certainly that's the most interesting thing that I don't have a sense for, which, you know, again, if you're John Horst, if you're ownership, that's the question I want to understand, which is if, you know, if we struggle 
for the next few games, if we struggle for the next 20 games, where is the breaking point for Giannis, but also these other players? And how do they feel about this coaching staff? Do they believe in what they're out there trying to do and what they're trying to execute? You know, it's easy to go through, say all the right things um, on media day, but to actually have to go out and do it in the season and when it's not working, do you have enough faith to kind of continue doing what you're doing? Um, that's the kind of stuff that I think, you know, ownership has to do because they have to be able to read their team and know, you know, when it makes sense to make a move. And again, um, I think it's, I, I mean, I think we can all see where this is going that next summer, barring something, you know, changing dramatically. I think, again, this is sort of on track to be in a situation where ownership really shouldn't have any choice, but to try to make a change in order to kind of yep. take this team to the next level. You know, I know people have made the comparison of, you know, is Jason Kidd sort of the Mark Jackson of, of the Milwaukee Bucks. And again, there's some differences. I think, you know, talent wise, the Warriors, I think were more talent than the Bucks are now. Were any of the Warriors as good as Giannis was at the time when Steve Kerr took over? I don't know if Steph Curry was was even as no. awesome as Steph Curry is. I don't know if Steph Curry was was Giannis. He certainly didn't have sort of his all around toolkit. Um, but like, can you go find that that next guy who can really take this team to kind of its next level? You know, or do you just you know how do you how do you avoid just running it back because you say, well, that's good enough. Well, that's good enough. Well, we won yeah. you know forty five games and eh, we were slightly better. And you know, I'm, I'm I owe this guy twelve million bucks next year, so I'd rather just just keep paying him that or you know whatever. Um, so I think those are all the kind of key questions that, you know, we can all say like, this is not working and, you know, the defense hasn't improved. And so make a change. I think the, the, the question that really gets to like the rubber meets the road part of this is, you know, again, that, that question, which ownership and, and John Horst have to decide is, you know, where do they draw the line? And again, I, I would be shocked if it was, you know, this week, um, but yeah. how bad do things have to get? in the next couple of weeks, you know, and I think again, they'd have to get pretty bad or maybe it's after 20 or 30 games, but what is the expectation level and what has to happen or not happen to get to the point where you say, you know what, you know, Joe Prunty, you're taking this team over for the rest of the season and you're going to have to go figure it out knowing that we're probably going to hire another guy who's not going to retain you as an assistant yeah. next summer. So, um, so anyway, I'm, I have no idea who, who, you know, a replacement could be or would be. Again, I just would assume it's probably not going to be somebody you'd find during the season. Um, and, and obviously that puts the Bucks in an awkward situation because, you know, if you're running with your interim coach, you're probably not going to, you know, tap out your full potential because it means that there's something kind of more fundamentally wrong with kind of what you're doing. So um, I I would say I'm curious. You mentioned like when do guys, how much do guys believe in what they're trying to execute? And to me, over the last three games, that's kind of what I've been wondering with uh, like the half-assed uh, like pick and roll coverages. Is it just a situation where you tried the trap early, it didn't work, and now you're like, well, the trap's not going to work, so I'm going to do something else, or I'm going to freestyle this and. Uh, I'll do better than what the scheme would say, because if that's what what's happening and what's hampering the Bucks' pick and roll defense, well then, yeah, that's that's a very serious problem, um, and that it will never work. Guys just going in their own direction and not following that. Again, I don't know if that is what has happened, because uh, I mean, if I, I'm basing off of 
John Henson, well, John Henson kind of does his own thing sometimes. <laughs> John Henson has done this throughout his career. If I'm basing it on Thought Maker, well, maybe Thought Maker just doesn't quite know how to do this. So um, I, I think it's something to keep an eye on. And yeah, at some point, a tipping point is going to be reached. And uh, I don't know that we really know what said tipping point will be. But uh, yeah, I think it's a question that's just going to kind of sit here and kind of linger over this this roster and uh ownership will have to decide exactly what they want to do but yeah unless the defense uh, honestly i guess maybe this is an interesting question what would it be that would happen this season that would take us off of this path right now it's what the defense being top 10 I mean, I think because it's, offensively, I don't yeah. think it matters. Like, if you're good offensively, okay, you have Giannis, you can be yeah, good offensively. I mean, I think if the Bucks win 50 games and make the second round of the playoffs, I don't think it matters how much any of us crow for Jason Kidd's job. I think yeah, absolutely. I think the Bucks would keep him if they win 50 games and and make it the second round. Or, I mean, if they win 45 games and make it the second round, I think they'd probably also keep Jason Kidd just yep, because they would feel like, oh, well, we're you know we're making progress. We took another and, step. Yeah, yeah, you know, we took another step. I think. The the question is, you know, making the playoffs in the East is not going to be very hard. Right now, the Bucks are not in the playoffs, by the way, um, <laughs> but it's very early. Um, making the playoffs in the East obviously shouldn't be very difficult. So, I mean, making the playoffs is not like Jason Kidd's salvation, clearly. Um, okay. So, I think, and, and to be honest, even if they win 48 games, if they lose in the first round of the playoffs, I would, yeah, I, I would I think they got to win them. I would not yeah. be surprised at all, you know, and, and and I think I would almost decouple it a little bit from like I would view it as the defense. Like I would want to know where that defensive ranking is, right? Like if that defensive ranking is twentieth, and you win forty eight games and go to the second round of the playoffs, I would still feel like this is this team is still underachieving. Like like yeah. they have to be better defensively. And what is what are they? What is this coaching staff going to do to, to improve that? And I'm not saying I have some magical answer. I can just sit yeah. here and say like change the scheme, but. I don't think that they can, you know, like I, I said on tour the other night, I mean, you know, if the Bucks hire Mike Budenholzer, are Bucks fans going to say, you know, throw tomatoes at them because Mike Budenholzer has a, an aggressive defensive scheme that he's used over the years? Uh, no, I don't think they will because Mike Budenholzer's actually gotten teams to defend at a high level using that. I and mean, granted, he's had some, you know, Paul Millsap, Al Horford for a number of those years. I mean, he's had some really good defensive players to use in those situations as well. But, you know, I, I mean... Mike Budenholzer with Giannis and Chris and the rest of the guys on this roster, I would be very surprised if he can't, you know, I would be very surprised if he's not an above average defense, right? Even if it was, you know, retaining a lot of the principles. And then at that point you could say, well, you know, being 12th isn't, you know, like you're, 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 you're capping your ceiling because you're not playing a different style. Fine. You know, like I would say, like if you ask me, and this is the thing too, that's never, people never talk about like, well, how should they play? Um, and it's usually like, well, more conservative. And it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, like, I mean, yeah. th- like like zone dropping, pick and roll. I mean, Thibs has an awful defense in Minnesota. Like, you know, the sacred cow of Thibs defense isn't working in Minnesota right now. Like, I feel like what works in the NBA has become a lot more fluid than it has been. Like, you can't just say the guy who was good five years ago defensively is the coach that's going to, you know, make it Still work good. Um, yeah. I think things have changed too much. Um, I think with this roster, though, I think you know, again, you have to, I think you have to wean this roster off of being so help de- dependent. And yeah. I think, cause I think again, like if you talk about like people love talking about accountability, I think 
because everything seems to be dependent on the next guy making the right rotation, not only does it create a lot of pressure that, you know, again, the five guys on a string, all that stuff, but it also sort of like shifts accountability and guys don't really have to stop their, their man, you know? And that's probably, yeah, there's no caretaking to stopping your man. Like it's just a a blow by a run by close out. And it's like, okay, well I ran him off the line. I ran him off the line. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think like having a defense that is more that like switches more, like if you're going to, if you're going to have Thon maker as your center, your starting center, right. I mean, you, I would say switch tons, right? Like I watch the Rockets a lot, right? The Rockets don't have a great defense, but it's pretty simple because they switch tons of stuff. Like they, they switch a lot of stuff. Um, and again, a lot of that then results in matchups that you don't love and they'll get exploited in matchups and things like that. But at a minimum, I think like now, cause that's the thing like too, like Westbrook wasn't getting trapped and then tra- passing the ball. And then three passes later, Steven Adams got a dunk. Like, they were kind of dropping Henson, yeah. like they were playing more yeah. conservative. I mean, and then they were just ramming it down their throat. So, yeah. whatever the Bucks were trying, it hasn't been working. And so, again, this is not to absolve, you know, the coaching staff or the players from from you know, again, accountability. Um, because again, like if it doesn't work, it, it, then then coach it better. You know, <laughs> like yeah. like it, regardless of the scheme you have, it should you should at least be able to get it to work somewhat, or at least take away something, right? If you're going to take away the point, you know, if you're going to play aggressively, then take away the point of attack, then give up the corner three, like the Hawks do, right. Or like the Hornets do Steve Clifford. Everybody loves Steve Clifford. They gave up an NBA all-time record in threes last year, right? Like attempted. I mean, you know, people are people in in Charlotte or people in Atlanta complaining that like they need to fire their coaches because they give up too many threes. No, because they actually take away other stuff because they don't allow tons of points at the rim in exchange for that. So um, again, it's like, do do something well do something well right yeah. like you know i think it used to be like people didn't like the trade-off well now it's like just just give me now, yeah now i'm not even trading off i'm just getting yeah with this defense it used to be the turnovers like okay you're gonna do all this and you're actually gonna get turnovers and then after the first year it kind of disappeared those turnovers uh, I shouldn't say disappeared in year two. I think it was still like top five turnovers and turnover percentage. They, they were, but... If I use cleaning the glass, so it, it, first year with kid, they were number one, 18.2%. Second year, 16.2%. That was seventh last year, 15.5%. That was fifth. But you see, you notice the trend, like turnovers have been going down in, in general. general. Just go down. Yeah. yeah. And so, so even if you're still, even if you're first, you're getting less out of it. So even though the bucks have still been pretty good, it's just a less valuable trade-off because teams don't, basically make as high risk of plays basically yep um so yeah well, i don't know we're, we're uh, i don't i shouldn't say we're in an interesting spot in a new spot like this is a spot that i think all of us kind of have expected um i, I think we expected at some some point for there to be some of these conversations where you have to try to figure out exactly what's best for the franchise and um like i, I think as we close i think just thinking about it from where ownership is, is always important. Um, just because again, fans can be a bit more fickle and fans can be a bit more aggressive in, uh, the fantasy moves that they want to make because they're not actually running the team. So, uh, once you kind of signed up during the summer when it was 50, 50 kid was coming back or whatever it was that there was a chance that he wasn't coming back. As soon as you signed up for another year, well, I don't want to say you signed up for another year, but 
you're pretty much dead. Um, whether or not that's kid around for the whole year, that's probably someone from his staff around uh, for that whole year and a uh, number of these things happening. So um, I think it's just something we continue to monitor and uh, we'll see if at some point some changes are able to be made and uh, the Bucks are able to find some success defensively. But if they aren't, uh, I think we know exactly what we're on route for. Yeah, we'll see. And again, like it's early in the season and things can kind of change quickly. Um, but again, it's not like, you know, if the Bucks were a top 10 defense last year and the year before, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Correct. Scheme, scheme being the same or, or otherwise, I think, um, you know, again, it's a results-based league. And, you know, as it, when you start having a team that people feel like has real potential and one half of the court just continues to lag beyond where it needs to be, then then we start having these conversations. And we'll see. You know, they had stretches obviously after the midway part of the season where they started to play better defense, not great defense. Uh, But we'll see. And, and as we mentioned, the starters, you know, the starters with Thon, the starters with Henson have actually played good defense so far. Those starters at those groups haven't been big, have been good enough, but can the question is, can you do that consistently? Can we see that with lineups other than those? Um, Because yeah, you can't play, you know, the same five guys, 48 minutes. Um, so hell, you can't even play the same two guys that are like your, your engine for all of this. Like you can't play those two guys, 48 minutes. So, uh, you do have to find something else and find a way to be effective when they're not on the floor. So we'll see if the bucks can do that. But yeah, I think what, uh, nine games for the season. So that's almost 10% of the way there. Um, through with a 10th of the season up. I, I think these are, Obviously, conversations that we were going to have and attempt to figure out exactly where the Bucks stand. And this nice little three-day break kind of gave us an opportunity to not have to recap a game or preview a game and kind of have this conversation. So uh, anything else you, you want to add or are you feeling good? Well, I don't know if I feel good, well, but I think, I, think, I think we're done for today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, that is going to be it for us for today. Tomorrow we'll get you ready uh, for the Bucks game in Cleveland. Uh, that game will be on NBA TV, so we'll get you ready for that one. And kind of, I guess at some point we have to figure out: are the Bucks more of a mess, or are the Cavs more of a mess? Well, uh, I, think, I think the Cavs have to be more of a mess, but um, I, I won't. I don't know if that's really going to make Bucks fans feel a lot better. But uh, <laughs> either way, so we'll do that tomorrow. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks, and we will talk to you tomorrow.